Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary, Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include future Fed rate hikes, my interview with Kiranos' John Sayer on the latest statistical trends in the mortgage industry and what to look forward to in 2023, and Central Bank's security portfolio compositions. I'd like to thank this week's podcast sponsor, Richie May, a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services in the mortgage industry and in banking. To learn more, visit richiemay.com. How about that Federal Reserve? There are only two weeks to go until the Fed's February 1st rate decision, and the market is currently estimating a 25 basis points hike then, followed by another 25 basis points in March. Although inflation has moderated slightly in the past few months, it's still well above the Fed's 2% target. So recent Fed speakers have been trying to prepare the market for rates to be higher for longer. Of course, they could also just move the goalposts by raising their inflation target. Obviously, the Fed's rate hikes have had a major impact on mortgage rates over the last year, and for today's interview, I wanted to welcome back to the show Kiranos' John Sayer to talk about some trends he's seen in the mortgage industry. We recorded this interview last Friday, so let it be known I correctly predicted the Cowboys' demise in the NFL football playoffs. I'm very excited today because it's been about three months since we last spoke, and you always come to me with excellent data and trends in the market. Today, I thought it'd be interesting for us to hear your perspectives on the mortgage market in 2022 before we tackle trends in 2023. Last year, the narrative was rising rates, uh, falling volumes and margins. It's tough, tough in many ways. Uh, But aside from reduced volumes, what did the Kiranos data set reveal about our business that many market participants may not know? Robbie, uh, great, great to be here. I really appreciate it. Uh, great chatting as usual. Um, you know, I really think that 2022 was certainly a year that will stand out as an unpleasant chapter in our mortgage banking history book. Um, Maybe not be a consolidation, you know, consolation, but um, you know, and it may be obvious to say it, but I, I'm not sure really what our role in this market would be if it weren't for markets changing and rates changing. So whatever our role is in the industry, whatever we do, I I really do believe that we bring the most value when we help our borrowers, we help our clients, we help our companies that we work for navigate through every market condition and really perform the best we can given the circumstances. But you're right, Uh, there are many market insights that can help us uh, inform our future decision-making based on this last year. And better, better, you know, really better understand how we did or how, um, you know, uh, we performed relative to a, a difficult market. Can you share a few quick examples up front here? Sure. Uh, maybe I'll characterize it as uh, did you knows and I'll rattle off a few. Uh, did a little research here uh, in preparation. And uh, the first did you know is that Texas, the state of Texas, was the number one purchase loan market, and Indiana was the second ranked uh, purchase loan market when you compare volumes from 2022 uh, from 2021. A second did you know is about 10% of conforming loans that were locked in last month by mortgage bankers had a temporary buy-down. And the temporary buy-down that was most common was that 2-1 buy-down, 2% rate reduction the first year, 
1% in the second year. I see a lot of real, realtor listings talking about sellers paying buy-down points and such. About 10% of conforming loans that we are seeing from mortgage bankers last month had a temporary buy-down. Uh, third one, uh, did you know that about 65%, about two-thirds of non-conforming loans being ba- made by banks and credit unions right now are ARM loans? Uh, so that's uh, obviously mostly purchase loans right now, but about two-thirds uh, being ARM loans as opposed to fixed-rate loans right now for non-conforming. Uh, fourth one, did you know that the 30-year fixed-rate conforming rate uh, exited about 40 basis points, about three-eighths rate, almost half a percent in rate higher than the similar risk profile of a jumbo loan? So, uh, you know, myself, having spent 15 years of my career at a GSE, uh, I still can't get used to the idea that jumbo rates are through or lower than conforming rates. It's uh, fairly amazing. And uh, by the way, uh, with regard to jumbo arm rates, I'll note that uh, arms, jumbo arms, uh, are about 50 basis points lower than jumbo fixed right now. So the spread's about 50 basis points, not a ton. Uh, but, you know, this is a decent spread there for borrowers. Not bad. And the last one I'll mention, uh, Robbie, uh, did you know that home equity loans, uh, home equity lines of credit uh, are taking about 55 days for uh, lenders to close? And as a comparison for first mortgage cash out refinances, it's taking even longer, about 67 days on average. So 55 versus 67 days. In fact. I would have thought um, um, that it would um, lenders would be speeding up, given all the givens, but we're actually witnessing uh, lenders taking five days longer to do a refinance loan today than they were one year ago at this time, which is uh, fairly amazing. Uh, that does, as a footnote, vary by market and uh, product type. Well, some of that stuff makes sense, like the the buy downs. Obviously, two one has become very popular, and also uh, the the popularity of arm loans, as we've seen rates increase. What I was surprised is that uh, Indiana's second when you when you looking at purchase market, the purchase market, you would think obviously the traditional players are California and Florida and New York, but I guess they were nowhere to be found. Can you remind me how you source this data and, and the market intelligence? Sure, sure. So those numbers we were looking at is that year-over-year view, how much did um, purchase money increase as a percentage? So Indiana, uh, as a a really strong market, uh, increased uh, significantly. But how we get that data, uh, Robbie, is that uh, every week, every week our clients, lenders across the country, send us uh, loan origination, application, rate lock, and funded loan data directly from their loan origination systems, a broad spectrum of lenders, large, small mortgage banks, credit unions, uh, banks, national, regional banks. Um, At the end of the day, uh, we collect about half of all, little over half of all first and second lien mortgage loan applications. Uh, So first mortgage and home equity loans. And additionally, about 500 lenders provide us uh, or participate in our rate surveys. Uh, for all mortgage channels and for mortgage and home equity and other consumer lending products. Um, Interestingly, and I I think um, I'm pretty excited about, we now collect small business and unsecured loan origination data. So I can touch on some of that market info as well. 
but basically, our clients just use that data to, to do two things. One is to monitor their price position. Where am I positioned in the market? And number two, understand their loan origination performance. How am I doing relative to others? In addition to buy-downs and arms gaining popularity, there's also been a resurgence in home equity lending. And uh, last time we spoke, you you shared some information around the home equity market, but can you put a bow on 2022 and, and start us off in 2023 with the good news here? Sure. Um, you know, I, I have a tendency to latch on to certain metaphors. Uh, so my metaphor for 2022 as it relates to the mortgage and home equity lending markets, I say, think of it as stepping on a balloon. Uh, the balloon contracts in one area, uh, but then the other area expands. And that's certainly what we experienced in 2023. First mortgage lending was down about 50%, 5-0% for retail and TPO channels. However, home equity lending was up uh, 33%. Uh, we also observed significant growth in unsecured and small business loans, both of which, as you can imagine, can be considered uh, for some borrowers as alternatives to a cash-out refinance mortgage. Well, I could probably use some dieting tips from you because any balloon I've ever stepped on has popped, but good, good to see a shift for you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a metaphor at my own risk there. Yeah, well, within a... Home equity lending, you know, we saw some really interesting trends there uh, in what was the really the biggest origination year since 2017. Uh, first of all, uh, the preponderance of loans being done right now, home equity loans are lines of credit uh, versus closed end seconds. Uh, second, we saw the greatest growth in the direct to consumer channel relative to that traditional branch model. That's not really that surprising, I don't think, given the pandemic and, and really the shifts in borrower behavior. Uh, you know, you think of it as borrowers applying online rather than in person. So that uh, direct-to-consumer model is taking off. Uh, that said, there's some really, really uh, significant channel challenges in that uh, channel. Uh, first of all, uh, the pull-through statistics are really lousy. Um, Direct-to-consumer pull-through rates are about 10% lower than the branch channel. So branch, more loans getting pulled through than on the direct-to-consumer. And secondly, operationally, we're observing slower funding turn times for the direct-to-consumer channel by about five days. Uh, not really what you would expect. You would you expect that centralized environment to be faster, but we're actually seeing turn times at the branch level being faster than the direct-to-consumer. I think the interesting thing, part the part of home equity lending as compared to mortgage lending, uh, is that there really is a unique um, business problem to solve. And when you think about it, there's a couple of things at play, one of which is uh, home equity lenders are dealing with those lower pull-through rates, which are about 30%. Three zero percent overall, as compared to the first mortgage world, which Robbie, you know, well around I don't know, probably eighty percent or so pull through we see in mortgages. So that three percent pull through versus eighty percent—that's that's a significant issue. And then even when loans are made, even when home equity lines of credit are in place, that utilization of the line of credit tends to run around thirty-five percent of the available money. 
So the lender's job really isn't done when the loan of, loan is made or when the line is put into place. The lender must continually manage paydowns and new draws to try to maintain loan balances. Those certainly are big challenges for the direct-to-consumer model. What's the credit profile of borrowers like for home equity loans? And, and maybe I'm asking a little selfishly because I'm going through a remodel right now and, and a home equity line of credit sounds pretty appealing to me. You know, I took one out myself about six months ago. I uh, should have gone with the fixed rate instead of the variable rate, but uh, mm. what do I know about rates? Um, <laughs> uh, for the credit profile, uh, with myself accepted probably, um, we're mostly seeing super high credit borrowers with lots of mortgage equity. Uh, it's really a premium profile. Uh, about 50% of the loans have credit scores over 800. And most loans uh, with the CLTV or a combined loan to value, that's the first lien plus the second lien, is 70% or less. We're talking borrowers with 30% or more of equity. In 2022, we really did witness, Robbie, what I would call some risk migration to lower credit score and higher loan to values or CLTVs. Um, I think this really reflects more the broader consumer adoption of home equity loans rather than lenders opening up the credit box. I don't, I don't think we've seen shift in credit box, just more borrowers applying for these loans. Not all of them happen to have an 800 credit score. And finally, uh, with respect to home equity rates, which people may wonder about, uh, the home equity market was not immune to raising rates. Um, in fact, uh, at the start of 2022, rates, home equity rates were about 4%. At the beginning of the year, and now uh, they're running about eight percent. So rates have doubled um, in the last year. Holy smokes, that's that's surprising. I I actually want to go back to one of the surprises from earlier, and that's that Texas and Indiana purchase market. So let's shift back to first mortgage lending here. Sure, Texas and Indiana. You mentioned those as two markets that outperformed in terms of purchase transactions last year. Can you peel back the onion a little bit more on that? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, originally, we uh, may or may not have talked about this, but originally I'm from California, but I've been in Dallas, uh, Texas here for the last 12 years. Uh, not sure I meant to be a trendsetter, trendsetter but i am um, been in good company here. And although I miss California, my friends there, my family there, my colleagues, the beach, the weather, mountains, everything else, uh, I can tell you that Texas feels a whole lot like California did in the early and mid 80s. There's tons of growth, construction uh, absolutely everywhere, a go-go business attitude. And uh, unfortunately for me, uh, a lot of highway traffic to, to go along with it. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very reminiscent. Part of my time at the, the University of Texas was spent wondering how the, the city of Austin could keep expanding when Mopac and, and Interstate 35, the two highways that run through town, were already clogged with traffic. And I think population in the cities increased by several hundred thousand since then. I'll tell you though, I bet you do not miss the state income taxes of California, or I, I know for a fact you don't. I should ask you, have you become a Dallas Cowboys fan? That's a, a good question. Um, I'd say many years ago, I pretty much switched over from being being a pro football fan to being a college football fan of UCLA and SMU and uh, some others. Uh, but it's but it's hard not to cheer for the Cowboys in Dallas if for no other reason that the city is 
absolutely in, insufferable when the Cowboys lose. So I I assume you're planning a, a vacation after this weekend when uh, they go down here in the divisional round of the NFC playoff. <laughs> uh, we'll see how it goes. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, football's certainly more amusing than mortgages, but you know, um, focusing on on Texas again, that 2022 versus 2021 look. Uh, a few uh, uh, um, layers of the onion here. Uh, for VA purchase loans, VA purchase loans, Texas grew by 10% year over year. Uh, FHA grew by 4% year over year. Non-conforming was flat. Uh, conforming was actually down 7%. Even though Texas was the best performing state of any state in the country, it was down 7% in conforming. So um, some stats there. Again, this is data from, you know, statistically significant set of data from, from our participating uh, lenders. I would say that VA was also a bright spot in a, a number of additional states. Uh, we saw a really positive year-over-year growth in Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, Kentucky, Alabama, Indiana, pops up over and over as being a great year-over-year growth state. We saw that in VA. On the other side of the coin, uh, we saw a year-over-year contraction in purchase loan products, gubbies, conforming, jumbos, in my home state of uh, California. Well, the last few times we've spoken, you've you've been an ARM expert for me. And, And I think when most people hear the term ARM expert, maybe they think, Arnold Schwarzenegger or The Rock, but <laughs> I think John Sayer. So uh, let's let's get into ARM loans a little bit here. What what do we see for 2022? Yeah, I haven't been in the gym in a while, but uh, <laughs> yeah, ARM loans one of my favorite topics, and I, I guess probably uh, the reason being that a, another good chunk of my career was at Home Savings of America. For those that might remember that savings loan, where at the time back in the you know mid late 90s, 90 percent of what we were doing was ARM loans. Uh, so certainly a, an important product over the years. Um, one strange, I guess it's not strange when you look at the yield curve, but um, you know we're seeing lower rates on 10-year arms than we are on seven-year arms. So uh, I think that's um, a great benefit to borrowers. I mean, 10-year money, and it's you know lower than 30-year money, but um, uh, also better than seven. So you know a little bit of a sweet spot right now in 10-year arms. Um, in terms of volume for arms, it's it's really a tale of two cities. Nationally, for financial institutions, you know, banks and credit unions, arm loans, running again about 60, 65 percent of non-conforming originations in 2022. Alternatively, for mortgage bankers, for non-conforming loans, the mix is about 20 percent. So again, uh, for non-conforming loans only. Um, you know, 60% for banks, uh, financial institutions, about 20% of their volume uh, for mortgage banks. Um, conforming loans, uh, conforming arms, um, you know, the execution just isn't there. So they they grew uh, year over year, but just it's such a small percentage of the overall conforming um, uh, mix. Uh, arms don't register all that much. It's interesting and I think we chatted about this before, the challenges that, uh, facing mortgage bankers, you know, the sell into correspondent lenders, especially their arms. 
Uh, we see a fairly widespread in arm rates in the correspondence space versus the uh, arm rates for um, you know classic retail lenders. Well, perhaps we tee up correspondent lending next time we talk. The Wells Fargo news is certainly big. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, I, I guess came as a surprise, even though it didn't. Um, and uh, absolutely, we'll be keeping a pretty close eye. I think we track about 75% of all uh, correspondent um, loan volumes. So we'll, we'll see how that impacts that market. I look forward to that next conversation, John. And uh, it was a pleasure having you on as always. Thank you very much. Thank you, Robbie. Have a great day. To open the week, U.S. Treasuries, and along with them, securities backed by residential mortgages, pulled back price-wise, recording the third consecutive day of losses as markets continue to price in future expected rate hikes and the corresponding economic fallout. Though we won't get any Fed speak for the remainder of the week, as we are in the quiet period ahead of the FOMC meeting next week, Outgoing Kansas City Fed President George said yesterday that it's time for the Fed to think about its plan to exit the MBS market and be more explicit in its language on how bond purchases may figure into future monetary policy. She noted that Fed officials agree in principle that the central bank's securities portfolio should only include assets issued by the Treasury. Today's economic calendar begins with Philadelphia Fed non-manufacturing for January, and is followed by Redbook same-store sales, S&P Global Manufacturing and Services PMIs, Richmond Fed Manufacturing, and a Treasury auction of $42 billion of two-year notes. Today is also Class D 48 hours, which is when whoever is delivering securities tell the entity who has bought them what to expect. We begin the day with agency MBS prices slightly better than Monday night, and the tenure yielding 3.50 after closing yesterday at 3.53%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Here's some uh, doctor quotes from actual medical exams and physician experiences. At the beginning of my shift, I placed a stethoscope on an elderly and slightly deaf female patient's anterior chest wall. Big breaths, I instructed. Yes, they used to be, replied the patient. (laughs) Thanks again to this week's podcast sponsor, Richie May a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services in the mortgage industry and in banking. To learn more, visit richiemay.com. Questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities? Send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcasts from.